Hello, everyone. Welcome again to an episode of O2 in View. I'm your host, David Garbeth, the Executive Director of O2 Utah. Joining me today on our exciting podcast discussing the role of finance in campaigns and our work is O2 Utah's new development director, Greg Yerkes. Did I get that right, Greg? You did. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, welcome. Our brand new development director, uh, as our faithful listeners, viewers, followers know, um, Corey Cronin used to be our development director, but then was wooed away by the, um, the, the fancy and lucrative world of federal elections and federal PACs. And so he left us and in his place, Greg, uh, who just started <coughs> with the team this month. Yeah. Very exciting having you on board, Greg. Yeah, thanks. I'm very excited to be part of the team. So like I said, today we're going to talk a little bit about um, since your development and you're thinking a lot about how do we mainly raise money to fund our operations and accomplish the mission that we have. Um, we thought we'd talk a little bit about fundraising both and how it's important for us um, and has significant influence on the model that we use, but we want to talk about also why we think it's such an important and critical part of just our whole um, election and policy process. Uh, so much of it comes back, I think, to the, the question of money. So yeah. that's the topic for today. But before we jump in, Greg, let's hear a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah. Um, so I just came on last week as uh, development director. Uh, prior to that, I have uh, been working in the nonprofit field for, for quite some time, started out at the Downtown Alliance in Salt Lake City, doing business outreach, uh, working with small, large businesses, throwing events, really just promoting downtown and working to build relationships uh, with downtown business owners. So uh, very excited to be back in the downtown area, working across the Wasatch Front to improve our air quality. Uh, I've also been in the Peace Corps. Uh, I served in West Africa with my wife, Nicole, uh, as an agricultural and entrepreneurial uh, volunteer. So uh, really interesting NGO experience over there and fostering development on a uh, rural scale there, working with um, women and children uh, to develop entrepreneurial opportunities. Uh, came back from the Peace Corps, worked uh, at a com tech company downtown doing project management. And uh, once the opportunity to, to join back up and, and fight for a cause that I can get behind and be passionate about, I had to jump on it and be part of the O2 team. So a little bit about my, my background professionally, but other than that, I'm a hiker, skier, love the desert, as you can tell from my background, and uh, passionate about Utah and everything and everyone in it. So yeah, for those people listening to this podcast, not watching, um, Greg is what we describe as bearded. He has a big beard. <laughs> uh, also, big aficionado of Utah and the outdoors. You know, Greg's one of the few people I can talk to about the grassies, the yep. newfies, as we as we say in the biz. Um, yep. Mouse range. You know, take your pick. Greg knows his Utah geography, so point of uh, pride for me. <laughs> yeah, good. Reach out to him if you've got any questions, or you're just trying to stump him. Let's let's see if you can. Um, 
Greg, this is a new uh, role for you, though, going into development. I think you know part of what was exciting about finding you for this is you've got talents that I think are important for helping us to you know build our list of supporters, build our list of donors. Um, how are you thinking about that? Tell us a little bit about your thoughts and now focusing on helping us to, to accomplish those purposes. Yeah, it, like you said, it is a new realm for me. Um, I haven't worked in uh, politics professionally before. Um, I have had extensive uh, experience in grant writing and funding smaller projects, working uh, with more small level donors to, uh, you know, uh, support downtown businesses, for example, the Downtown Alliance, things like that. So coming into this role, it's an exciting opportunity to uh, branch out, use my experience to, uh, you know, both broaden our uh, small donor base, look into engaging uh, citizens, um, you know, the, the everyday person uh, across the Wasatch Front and, and really get them behind our cause. You know, O2 uh, works uh, at improving air quality. So, uh, it's something that affects literally everyone who lives in our valley um, and everyone should, should be passionately involved. I look forward to engaging uh, as many people as possible to support our cause. And um, moving forward, uh, working as development director, I, I look forward to working closely with our team to develop strategies on how to uh, maintain a monthly donor base, looking into the entire gamut from small to large donors and really just increasing the financial stability and uh, our, our fiscal responsibility moving into the rest of 2022 and 23 and uh, using that money to you know, engage in these elections, uh, engage in uh, responsible policy that will improve uh, our, our quality of life for years to come. Cool. I wanna talk a little bit about, I wanna come back to this topic. Uh, okay you know, why funding is important for us. But I think first, you know, set some of the context about the influence of money in politics and shaping policy and why it's critical. Sometimes I, I joke to people that since I started this organization, whenever they ask me a question, be it about policy or solving a problem, like my joke is that my answer is always the same elections and money. This is the two things that matter. Elections and, and um, yeah. yeah, you can have the best policy in the world, the most savvy, well thought policy in the world. Mm -hmm. And you can be 100% correct on the science. And if you don't have the political support, what does it matter? Yep. And I think so often what happens is that we have this model which says the way to fix that. So if I'm talking about a if I'm talking about climate change, it's clear, you know, the science is solid. Um, only a few quacks out there are saying that this isn't real. Uh, that's good enough, right? Let's present that information to elected officials and we'll win. But I think, hope. <laughs> yeah, if, if we step back, if we can let go of that and say, well, what in practice is actually the most, you know, what is in practice actually is effective at driving policy? I think time and time again, we see that, you know, there's some loose affiliation to facts and information, but especially here in America these days, we are getting, take your pick of issues. Um, 
it should be beaten into us by this point in time that facts and information only get you so far. And I can't help but think that funding, oftentimes yeah. specifically around trying to promote disinformation for, for various purposes um, is critical. And oftentimes elected officials where they see that they can be rewarded typically in, in elections, yeah. uh, you know, those two things add up to universe where you could still have a lot of Republicans who say things like, well, you know, I'm no scientist or like, the world's always, the climate's always changing, you know, just different ways of doing climate denial when there really isn't any discussion or debate, serious discussion or debate about whether or not that's happening, whether or not it's anthropogenic. Um, yeah. I feel like it's these issues. Money, it, it's integral to getting a seat at the table for the discussion. Um, I mean, you look at some of the elected officials in Utah, Spencer Cox, for example, uh, pulled up the donor list and, you know, there's there's Pacific Corp, there's uh, uh, Cash Valley Electric, there's Dominion Energy. And at the end of the day, look who's getting their way. Am I right? It's, uh, they're the ones who are getting pa uh, policy passed that is uh, alongside their agenda. So uh, money really is is paramount to getting a seat at the table and having a foothold in those discussions on improving. And uh, these days, it seems like just accepting climate change as a factor in our daily lives. So fundraising. Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, Greg, before you move on. So Spencer Cox, you mentioned important donations, looking at his his campaign um, yep. funding when he ran for governor, he's got major donations there from, you said, uh, Dominion. Yeah. Um, I know one of his key donors is owns a refinery. Um, one of his key donors was also uh, at Edison Electric Institute, which is an organization as um, a track record uh, lobbying against rooftop solar. Yeah. Um, so if he's got these organizations, you know, why, I, I think we should talk about why do politicians take these donations in the first place and, you know, second place, what's, what's the result? How does that play out? Why do you think, you know, why is someone like Spencer Cox taking these donations in the first place? Well, uh, you know, as, a, as on a campaign trail, for example, that money will help to get Spencer Cox's face out to the, the general public, spread his message um, and get him elected at the end of the day. So, I mean, he obviously will take that money coming from, uh, from whoever it's coming from. Um, that's the result of that is those major players, those major donors are, they have influence, you know, they, uh, they'll be able to get FaceTime, discuss their, their interests with these politicians and uh, help craft legislation for uh, that will go out into the House and Senate floors that help to either slow progress towards a greener environment or uh, halt it altogether. It's uh, you know it, just the reality of the situation at that point is these candidates will need the money and the, the those who are willing to pay and have the money to pay these uh, vast sums uh, will will get their voices heard and uh, their agendas fulfilled. So. Unfortunately, that's just the, the, the way of the world these days. And um, I think that it's uh, an interesting opportunity, I, maybe going off topic here a little bit for O2 Utah as a C4 
to uh, you know have a part in these conversations where other nonprofits can't. As a as a C four, we can get involved in these elections and uh, be at the table. You know, we we were pushing uh, certain candidates who we feel are, are responsible, who can align with our goals. Uh, we are discussing our um, you know model legislation for for a greener Utah prosperity twenty thirty. Um, and, and really pushing forward with a discussion that other nonprofits don't have the flexibility to, to do and fight back against these, you know, Dominion energies, these, uh, these oil and gas interests that have the ear of all of these politicians. Yeah, so you've brought up a lot of great ideas and themes there, and I want to unpack some of those. Sure. First, let's go to what you said about, you know, why do... I think a concept people understand, why do uh, politicians, why do candidates in particular take money from entities? Uh, you know, money when you're on a campaign is, is a resource and mm -hmm. most candidates, your biggest challenge is just to get people's attention mm -hmm. and get them to know who you are. Um, and that takes money. It uh, really, I mean, you really have to write, and in, it's becoming <laughs> in any race you're looking at, you know, more and more money is required all the time. Uh, fundraising is probably the thing that a candidate invests uh, most of their time towards. Yep. Uh, can sound unglamorous, but it's really candidates reaching out on the phone, trying to raise as much money as possible so that they can pay for those flyers, they can pay for those ads, they can get their um, presence out to voters. And it's this critical task that candidates have, you know, their, their number one goal, get elected. Anybody who wants to help with that, be it knocking doors, be it voting for them, or be it giving them money so that they can talk to other voters. Like that's something um, very valuable for a candidate. Yep. Like tell people, you know, it's not always clear or, or a perfect correlation or easy to follow how donations to a candidate necessarily result in policy, but I, I feel like you'd have to be a sociopath to not have somebody do a huge favor for you when you need it most, when you're saying, I really want to get elected, can you help me? You get into that position and then this person or this company, this entity that helped you comes to you and says, hey, we've got this issue that we need help on. Like, of course, like somebody who we would want, frankly, who we'd want to be a good politician would be thinking like, yeah, I should, you know, I need to think about my friends and whether it's conscious or subconscious, that's, you're certainly creating a context for. Yeah, and following through on those favors. Yeah. Following through on those favors will mean more money for future elections as well, I'm sure. Yeah, so, and again, say that in, you know, I think sometimes we say this, we, we're a bit judgmental of candidates about taking funding and personally and think, you know, candidates have to raise money. I don't know what you do if you're a candidate without fundraising. Um, yeah. But there's this really potentially pernicious effect. So we have this scenario. And then you started talking about the difference between our model, because this is something that we viewed as, as problematic, you know, looking at a, a Spencer Cox and seeing that his fundraising is very heavy, um, has you know significant chunk of funders who aren't going to want action on climate, 
who aren't going to want action for cleaning the air um, and not as heavy on entities uh, that are saying, you know, what we care about is that you clean the air. Um, so it's really lopsided in that sense. Part of our foundational model was we need to compete with that. And I think this is what you were talking about with the C4, Correct. 501C4, 501C3, and what we're using there is shorthand for the federal tax code. Um, certain entities under the tax code, certain nonprofit entities have different classifications and your traditional nonprofits are categorized as under category 501C3 of the tax code. It's, that's what we'll refer to it as here in shorthand. Those entities, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about the limitations they face when it comes to campaigns and elections. Yeah, so to my knowledge, a uh, 501c3, which, uh, you know, encompasses a, a wide variety of charitable organizations, um, aren't allowed to donate uh, directly to elections and uh, specific candidates. Uh, so the, the influence and limited is a little bit limited in their uh, scope of, of political influence. So they can't uh, support a, a Spencer Cox using our, our previous example, um, whereas a 501c4 organization um, is allowed to have a, have a participation in that um, in political realm in the elections and, and in candidates. Um, Fundraising for the, the two of the organizations is a little bit different as well. Um, you know, you're, you're donating to a 501c3, that's a uh, tax, re, uh, tax write-off as well for that donation. Um, so there's a lot of uh, giving opportunities for those, despite the fact that, uh, you know, you, you can't influence, that, that organization can't influence the election uh, in the way that a C4 can. Um, but yeah, there, there are other, other differences too, but just for, but I think that's an that's a great one. I'm glad you hit on that. You know, that's why I think the U.S., Utah as well has a very robust network of nonprofits. I think it's one of the great things about yeah. country that there's so many different organizations dedicated to so many different causes, trying to make a difference. They're typically these 501c3s, but like you said, totally prohibited from engaging in electioneering, so they can't endorse candidates, can't help them. C4s, on the other hand, and you know, I'll just be careful to note here, there's some limitations on that, but have a much greater flexibility and are not outright prohibited from participating in elections. Um, but the big trade-off for a C4 is exactly what you said. When somebody donates to a 501C4, those donations are not tax deductible. So you can give it out- It changes your fundraising strategy around, yeah. around uh, the C4 for that, yeah, so. It's, and I think, it's a bit more of a challenge, but it's it's an interesting challenge and one that I know O2 is more than happy to tackle. Yeah, and, and I you know I feel like it's one of those operational facts of life that leads to this huge divergence and has created some problems for us on the policy front. That understandably organizations are are registering as 501c3s, but then they're taking themselves out of the electoral process. Yeah. And I think that really the start for policy comes from elections. Um, so you talked a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit more about the model. Um, you said raising fundraising for a C4 is different 
from a, a C3. We're at O2 Utah, we are a 501C4. How does that play out for us? How does that affect us? How do you think about fundraising? And also, you know, we should probably discuss what do those funds even go towards? Why do we need money from people to operate? Where do you want to start on that? Yeah, uh, just talking about that strategy, you know, you have to uh, address the, uh, you know, seeking high level donors, for example, you'd have to address uh, the fact that, you know, it isn't a tax deduction. So you're going to have to uh, really hone in on your work, your strategy, um, starting with an issue, our issue being uh, our air quality. What are we doing to, um, so what are our solutions? What are our deliverables? And, you know, there will be roadblocks, but what are we doing to overcome those roadblocks? So it, it's really about uh, our messaging and building our relationships to the point where donors will trust our organization to craft policy and endorse candidates that will improve our air quality uh, across, across Utah. Um, so whereas a uh, C3, for example, you might fundraise around a cause, people will give high level you know, donations, maybe just for the tax write-off, that isn't an opportunity we have. And we really have to be thoughtful about our messaging and thoughtful about our mission and thoughtful about our goals. Um, so fundraising around that for uh, both high and low level donors is, is something that uh, takes a great deal of collaboration on our team and, and thought. So uh, a little bit about the strategy there, but um, as far as the money goes, where's that money going to? That really goes, uh, you know, first we've got our team members, these people, uh, full-time jobs. We've got uh, people going up to Capitol Hill uh, every day during the session to uh, work with legislators to craft policy and introduce legislation that will help to improve our air quality down the road. We've got um, members who are going door to door, engaging with uh, commu uh, community members to lobby, uh, citizen lobby our legislators for this exact same reason. Um, we are, you know, we've got a building, we've got rent, obviously there's gonna be operational costs, but it's really about supporting a, a full-time staff that is working hard to, uh, to, to play a role in improving air quality. Um, there's gonna be you know, flyers that need to be created. There's uh, gonna be messaging around campaigns uh, throughout the year that needs to happen. And especially you know, once there is an election cycle, uh, money will help to support candidates and uh, get the right people in office who are willing to make these changes and, and listen to the science and the voice of the people that, that this affects. Yeah, and that's a great one, you know, just a note for people, because you, we talked earlier about there's plenty of money out there for candidates um, that is, at the end of the day, going to be pushing candidates to not act on climate or, or to take their time, and, you know, not worry so much about air quality. And, and that's where we want to come in and compete at that same point in time and show candidates that there can be funding for doing the right thing, for doing what's in the public interest. Um, and, and that's part of what we use this funding for as well, to come in and compete at that same time. Um, I think, you know, one of the happy things too about this is uh, there has been, I know in the past, a fairly big question about will Americans donate to groups if there isn't a tax write-off. And uh, to say, fortunately for us, what we're seeing is that, yeah, Utahns and Americans understand that 
some of their goals in terms of policy, be it action on climate, cleaning the air, helping the environment, or things like equality, um, addressing poverty. Uh, so much of this also requires that you participate in an election. People are understanding that and because of their end goals, I think still donating, um, even though they don't get the tax write-off. And that's, you want to give cool kudos to, to our donors and our members because we wouldn't be here without them. And it's really, it's incredibly generous. And personally, I think it's one of the, um, you know, I have to spend a lot of time reaching out to people and raising money. And that's what you're doing as well. But I also think it's one of the coolest things to see how many people in our community are concerned about the fact that we have, you know, air that looks like my, my background here. <laughs> And if you're not watching, I've just got a, uh, my, my favorite wallpaper as of late, which is Salt Lake during an inversion and terrible air quality. Yeah. Donors understand that. And whether it's, you know, a significant donation or the widow's might, it's really cool to see people willing to, to offer those resources so that we can try and make a difference on this. It really is. It's, a, it's, a, it's inspiring to see uh, you know, these, these grassroots movements, like you said, down to, down to a, the, one dollar donation even it's uh it's showing that people are willing to to have a stake in in their lives and improving the quality of life um for a myriad issues but um with, with respect to air quality I, I think we're at a point that people are are over it they just need to they want it to be better and they're ready for that action that is needed and uh, just to you know, echo you, David, it, we wouldn't be here without the donors, and uh, just it's incredible to see um, the, the growth in this uh, um, willingness to act and, and be a part of the cause. So, do twenty dollar donations matter? You know, I bet we have people that listen or support, and they say, "I think this is really cool." I just don't, you know, I does my money make any difference? I could only give you twenty five bucks. Um, you know, they do. These small level donors have shown time and time again that they can make an impact with whatever they can give. Uh, that $20 might mean 40 doors knocked and, uh, you know, however many, uh, you know, wh whatever the deliverable is, that, that $20 it is going to make a difference. Um, I know from personal experience, you know, through college even, if there's some cause that I'm passionate about, I, you know, five, 10 bucks, that's, that's something that I can do at that point. And that's a representation of something that is I'm passionate about and want to see change. So just speaking to the individual small donors out there, it's, it's welcome. It's, it's helpful. And you have no idea what that means to us to see those, you know, five, 10, $20 donations roll in. So. Yeah, and I, powerful. it reminds me of, you know, this is a message that Bernie Sanders drove home and he was really kind of one of the, you know, I think he's a good example of this phenomenon that we're seeing in campaigns these days, the rise of the small dollar donors. So donors yeah. that are donating, you know, on their phone, $27, yeah. as Bernie would say. Um, and really it adds up making a significant difference um, and it has really helped to start many different movements or give legs to a lot of movements that probably wouldn't have been able to qualify if someone yeah. like Bernie Sanders had to rely on traditional large dollar donors to, to succeed. 
I mean, $10 monthly, that's a $120 donation. That's not insignificant. And multiply that by 500, 1,000 people. You, you're talking about real money to go towards a cause that can, you know, this money will go directly to compete against those oil and gas interests that don't want this change that we seek. So it's, it's really cool. So we talked a little bit about the influence of donations on policy and candidates, how it influenced our thinking on what sort of an organization we needed to be, um, what influence money has on our ability to accomplish our mission. What have we left out? What are, you know, what else do you think is important to mention to people that are listening or viewing? I, I would like to let people know that we are thoughtful about where our donations come from. Um, you know, there's opportunities for money that may come from companies opposed to our interests. That money that we could be eligible for on paper, you know, we're not interested in, you know, Dominion Energy coming out and giving us a thousand dollars because that is directly contrary to our mission. So I really just want people to know that, you know, the, the money that they are sending to us is going towards this cause and we are being thoughtful about who we take this money from. We want to, uh, to be true to our mission. Yeah, that's a great point. We understand, I, you know, undoubtedly, I'm sure my thinking would change if someone like Dominion wanted to write a really big check and we know that we just need to stay away from that. Um, so Dominion, I know you're, you're probably tuned in, put that checkbook away. Uh, <laughs> Greg, uh, Scott and Beth are probably tuned into this episode. Any last word for your parents or uh, anybody listening to this? How would you like to leave us? Well, uh, yeah, mom and dad, 10 years from now, I hope when you visit me in Utah, you'll be uh, easy breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. I hope so too. People want to make you look good in your new role, send in some donations. Where and how do they do that? You can uh, donate directly online, o2utah.org. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, we'll have events throughout the year to help engage our community members. Uh, we'll have, uh, we will table events. We'll be up at the legislature, uh, legislature through March 4th. Feel free to stop by, uh, say hi. And uh, yeah, like I said, every, Every donation means the world to us. So how, no matter how small, love to have you on board. Yeah, well, thank you. I agree with Greg. Um, with that, everybody, thanks for tuning in to listen to another episode of O2 and You. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll sign off. Goodbye, everybody.